0: have a very significant and special edition of FurFluencers. Not only are we going to be meeting with the woman who started the Black Cat Rescue in Massachusetts, very well-known, awesome organization dedicated to black cats, and this will also kick off our Halloween animal series, but perhaps more importantly, this is the first FurFluencers episode that I'm doing by myself. That's right. Going solo on this one, it's not because Anya's been demoted, it's not because people complained and she got kicked off the show, she just happens to have something better to do than join me tonight in this wonderful conversation. So everybody, brace yourselves, you've just got me, and I'm excited to kick it off. All right. Hello, Jennifer. Hi. How are you doing?
1: I'm great, thank you
0: we are so excited to have you you know here on furfluencers you know i'm you know, today i would love to talk a little bit about you, know, you your background but you know in particular you know the work that you are doing for the black cat rescue and so for folks who have not heard of you know, these types of rescues before believe it or not in the united states at least there are cat rescues dedicated just for black cats jennifer how many black cat rescues are there do you know
1: there are a handful across the United States. Um, we don't have any kind of specific network or anything. Um, we're a small rescue and we're we're Massachusetts only for, for our cats.
0: And tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, when did you first become interested in cats, black cats specifically, and what made you want, you know, to help them, you know, to, to work with them?
1: Um, I have always just sort of, um, I've always loved animals. It never was presented to me as a kid that, um, I don't know, career, the career options when you loved animals that were presented to you in my experience were, um, you should be a vet, you should be a vet, you should be a vet.
0: And I am so squeamish. Um, I am I too. I remember wanting to be a vet as a kid. And then when I realized what that entailed, it very quickly came off the list. Yeah. Of career yeah. And options. so it kind of died for there
1: for me because I was just sort of more of a humanities person. And so I went into, um, I went into human services when I started my career. Um, I did, um, a lot of work with, um, victims of violent crime and, the animal stuff just was always like kind of worming its way into my life. Um, A lot of victims needed help with their pets. And um, that was something that just kind of came naturally to me and then became kind of the thing that other people came to me for. Um, I was volunteering at a lot of animal rescues throughout college and post-college. But again, it it didn't uh, ever seem like it was a possible career path to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And so... Eventually, I just, um, I sort of started rescuing cats on my own on the side. Um, I was volunteering at a shelter in 2007 and um, just kind of found a cat on my street that was alone and needed help. And there was a wait list and it just sort of clicked that, you know, I can, I can do this. I can take her to the vet. I can get her spayed. I can find someone to adopt her. And I did, and then it was really like once you do one, two, two, one. <laughs> you can't stop. Um, <laughs> and so it was pretty. It, it kind of snowballed from there, um, where once people know you're helping cats, too, they will come to you for help. So um, pretty shortly after that, we I uh, incorporated um, and um, got nonprofit status as Black Cat Rescue. Um, at the time i had um several of my own cats one of which um was a black cat um and when i found out that black cats had had um a need for extra help we'll say um they 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 have higher euthanasia rates and there's a lot of reasons for that oh i didn't so- realize that Yeah. And they are more common than other cats. That's a big factor. Um, I see. Okay. It's a dominant gene. So um, we get a lot of solid black cats in shelters that kind of just fade into the background because people are looking for something to kind of jump out at them. They're looking for that special pattern on the coat or something right, right. Because,
2: like this is the the distinguishing one, this marks
1: be, there's, there's so many animals you know and then so there's like everyone's right. looking for that one special sign and for a lot of the solid black cats, unfortunately um they just kind of fade into the background and they don't stand out and they they get overlooked um so that's a big factor and then combined with the superstition where a lot of people just think if there's an option between black and not black the other one's better um mm-hmm so they, they do have higher euthanasia rates. Um, and so when I found that out, having a black cat that I was totally in love with, it like floored me. And so it, I was always kind of, I was always one to root for the underdog, I guess. And it just, it just sort of clicked when it was time to kind of focus on what the the rescue was going to be all
0: about. And when you got that cat, your, was it your first black cat? My first black cat. Yes. Uh, what What was the cat's name? Her
1: name was Isabel. Isabel. Yes. Uh, and I had her from 2004 to th- 2015.
0: And what was the process like for you to find Isabel? Uh, I got
1: Isabel from a shelter. Um, so um, she had already been uh, rescued, spayed, um, and was, was ready to find a new home.
0: But there was obviously something about her that stood out to you, even though she was a black cat. So what? Oh, right. Yeah. Um, what about her? Admit, and, you know, was, and When I adopted out. her,
1: I, I, didn't, I didn't know much about black cats. I just, um, I clicked with her in the shelter and there, there were other cats and I was taken with kind of their beauty. Um, but, you know, she, oh gosh. I miss her. Um, she just was special. She connected with me. She let me hold her. Um, there was that's so a big deal animals. for
0: a cat to do with the new, like a new, which is a person. And I,
1: I mean, I, I was maybe twenty two ish. I didn't, and I didn't have cats growing up. I didn't know a ton about cats. Um, I just liked her, and she let me hold her, and now knowing all of the cats that I know when an adopter comes over and meets a new cat and picks it up. I'm like, okay. Um, but she let me hold her. And there was someone cleaning cages who turned around and said, Oh, she doesn't let anybody do that. And I just felt she said, you like her. I can tell you like her. I think she likes you too. And she wasn't wrong. So uh, she came home with me and uh, we had, we had a, uh, not long enough together. Uh, she she uh, passed away of congestive heart failure. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. But she—it's never long enough. It's never ever long enough. And the only good side is to it not being long enough is that that there's always more that we can help. So
0: yeah, but I've never heard anybody articulate it that way before. But that yeah, that's a very hopeful yeah. way of thinking about it. No, it's it yeah, it's very it's, positive.
1: I lost another one of my soul cats this past November and that's been getting me through. We adopted, um, a new guy in June who, uh, had a bit of a rough go of it. So I'm, you know, I'm happy that we were in a position to welcome him. We would, which we wouldn't have been in had we had a full house at
0: the time. (laughs) That's wonderful. How how many cats are you able to have at a time? Like what feels like a good number for you?
1: For me personally as pets or for the rescue? (laughs)
0: Oh, good question. I'll I was thinking you personally, but I'll do you oh. personally, and then we'll bounce over to the rescue. Um me personally,
1: um it's two. I'm always kind of angling for three, and then we <laughs> foster, and then I'm sort of glad that I only have two. Uh,
0: I feel like I rest- need to do that because I want a second dog right now when everyone's telling me that I'm n- completely mad. Like, oh, but you know, it should be fine. People Like maybe try fostering first, then see how hard it's going to be. I,
1: yeah, fostering. I recommend trying fostering and seeing what you think and seeing what your dog
0: thinks about the whole sibling thing. (laughs) So you, you started this incredible rescue, Black Cat Rescue. You're based in Massachusetts and it, emerged seems like a little indirectly from other work that you had been doing with people, which led you to understand some of the challenges that animals you can often face as a result of you know lack of care or you know, yep. humans who don't have resource to care for them. What were your early days with the rescue like, you know, what were some of the first activities that you found yourself doing? Um, well, oh, wow. Uh, the early days of the rescue were interesting because
1: um, one of my f- my first, the first thoughts that occurred to me were like, okay, well, where are we going to get the cats that need help? And th- that, as soon as people, as soon as people find out that you're offering a service, you're just like flooded with demand. So that, that shouldn't have been a worry of mine oh. at all. Um, I should have, I should have been asking <laughs> where are we going to get the money and where are we going to get the space and the volunteers?
0: Um, (laughs) So So, so the demand was, demand was there. It was meeting that demand.
1: And being in Massachusetts, um, the demand was there from all over the country right away.
0: Um, Oh my goodness.
1: And actually that, I mean, that's, I guess maybe a different podcast, but uh, it turned into a huge kind of boundary setting lesson for me for how to define the scope of this and what we could and couldn't do. Um, because it was, um, you know, it was very quickly that we were inundated with requests from mostly the South, but, um, all over asking for us to take cats, um, many more than we could possibly take. And so, oh my goodness um, we had to kind of make, uh, make our make our boundaries more clear and, and define what situations we could get involved in and not. And so we do um, work within Massachusetts. Um, and as the rescue has um, evolved over the years, we're really um, more about depth of care uh, than volume. And we take a lot of cats that come from Shelters, and we have great shelters in Massachusetts. Um, uh, a shelter can't manage certain situations, no matter how awesome mm. the shelter setup is. And so we've taken cats. We've taken cats over the years from um, local shelters that need um, radioactive iodine treatment. Um, I see. So this is yeah, specialized, like, like a layer of specialized, specialized care. care. That well, okay, that really be carried out in in a shelter. Um, cats that are just freaking out, uh, about being in the shelter, just the shelter experience, especially for cats is, is difficult. And, um, they tend to go, you know, they go kind of one or two ways where they're really fractious or they just totally shut down. Um, and so we've taken cats from shelters that haven't eaten in days, um, are basically have they're refusing to live? They're they given up on life. They won't function. Um, and for a cat, you know, within a week, that can that can turn fatal. Um, you can start having organs shut down and things like that. Um, so the shelter experience is not you know not every cat is is cut out for it. And so um, we take cats that aren't doing well in that way. We take cats that um, have been waiting. Longer than uh, the shelter staff think they should be um, and we take a lot of cats that uh, from owner surrenders that people tell us they've called around and and kind of been either flat out turned away or told we can accept the cat, but it will likely be euthanized and um nobody wants that for for a cat that they're giving up for whatever reason, and so um, they come to us so um over the years, we've just kind of gotten more and more medically involved with our cats. We just have kind of more medical issues thrown at us and we adapt the best we can and we learn. And uh, like I said, I, I am squeamish. Um, but I, um, I have learned to give insulin injections, test blood glucose. Um, I had a paralyzed kitten and they learned to express his bladder. Oh um, my goodness. Yeah. And, um, and if Good I can for do you. it, anyone can do it because really, Definitely. like I get, I get a flu shot and I have to like, <laughs> lie down and look at the wall.
0: Um, right. <laughs> That's me when I go to the doctor, it's like routine, you know, blood test or whatever yeah. and i'm just um, like, like you think the world was ending <laughs> i
1: need you to give me the treatment that you give toddlers and i can choose talks and someone hold my hand and put on maybe a dvd so yeah um and so yeah so it's if we've we've just gotten we deal with kind of what what comes our way um and, so it's and been going a experience
0: Going back to, you know, when you first got started, you said you were inundated with all of these calls. Were you getting calls from individuals? Were you getting calls from other rescue groups? Were they from shelters? I'm just curious, you know, where where um, was the the bulk of that interest or that need come in from at the time?
1: So they were emails, and um, at the time, and I don't get them anymore. Um, so this would have been like 2007, 8, 9, um, they were emails and they would be like forward, 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 forward from somebody in a southern state who had seen like it wouldn't be the the shelter. So it wouldn't even be like direct access to the animal. It would be someone who had seen the animal or the animals in a lot of cases. It was a lot. Mm. Um uh, had seen the animals and wanted them rescued and was trying to facilitate transports uh, to Northern states. And What? Oh, sorry, go ahead. That would have, um, I guess it was called cross-posting. There was a lot okay. of it happening at the time. Like a lot of groups were getting shut down because it was flooding like like adoption spaces were getting flooded with um, requests about like this, these animals are going to be euthanized today at five o'clock unless you do something like just really negative kind of, you know, hostage messaging. Um, And it was, it was not a great space to be. Um, Animal rescue needs to be positive or no one wants anything to do with it.
0: In, oh, it's right. true. I mean, it's a po- it's a good thing to do, but there's got to be some positive messaging. I and mean, I think like anything else, people need to feel like they made a decision to do something, not that they were coerced into doing it. It had to come from them. Yeah, yeah. Um, <sighs> you mentioned the South, and this is something that has come up a lot when we've spoken to folks who've been involved with different dog rescues, and especially for certain breeds, why is it that so many animals or so many black cats were coming from the South? You know, is it that there's a high percentage of them who needed homes or a high percentage of people who are trying to find homes for them?
1: Uh, there's just more animals in the South. Um, gotcha. Okay. We're do- the North, uh, we're doing a better job with spay neuter. And so for the most part, particularly like New England, the Northeast, um, overpopulation is pretty much under control um the um the main animal rescue organization in Maine I don't know if they're the Maine SPCA or or what they call themselves but they've recently switched over to um offering services to pet owners because that's the next mm. kind of wave of animal welfare is to help people keep their pets so it's not so much that we've got unwanted litters coming at us all the time um it's more that people have pets and now they can't afford to feed them or i see get them vet care and that's that's kind of the next animal welfare crisis of of our time is
0: wow n- no one has articulated it that way to us on the show before uh, that's i mean helpful context to have for where we are in terms of you know animal care in the US yeah, yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, so like I I like I said, that the
1: organization in Maine is pivoting to offer like low and low uh, cost vet services to people in their area, and that's 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 making a huge community impact.
0: And going back to the cats that you come to your rescue, and you let's say I'm a shelter, I have a cat that's really not doing well. You know, in the shelter environment, it's shut down, it's not eating. I call you. You say yes. You know we have room for it. Cat comes over. At that point, what happens? Like, how are you able to work with these cats who have been through tough times or in a tough spot in their lives? You know, what is it that you provide in terms of care or environment that really seems to help them?
1: The biggest thing is peace and safety and stability. Um, a lot of it is like offering them some kind of routine, just so that they have. You know they're able to understand that the th- things are happening when they expect them to happen. And so it calms them a little bit. Um, and I we have great foster volunteers. Um, they know when to give the cats space. They understand, um you know, how to kind of have a light touch and then when to sort of push and and we try to support them a lot. So we will email, we email back and forth a lot about each cat. There's a lot of texting. Um, we don't have a shelter. So everyone is in a foster home. Um, and so for me, that means I'm pretty much texting and emailing all day. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, just like who had diarrhea. And right, right. Who, who ate their
0: breakfast. Who, kid, did who didn't
1: break the skin. So it's okay. you Yeah. Know? Um, <laughs> that kind of stuff. And, um, so we, we try to support the fosters through that and like, and through the fosters support the cats. And, um, it's just a lot of time and patience and TLC and they're all different. I mean, I, I had one amazing cat that I picked up from the shelter and he was, he was in the totally shut down category. Um, he wouldn't raise his eyes. He was He was just the saddest little sack of sadness I'd ever seen. And he's an example of a cat that just the change from being in a shelter to being in a home was instantaneous. Like I opened the carrier, I reached in, I started petting him, I started talking to him. He stood up, walked out of the carrier, looked around, started purring started nuzzling, got in my lap and like just came alive. It was like a stuffed animal, like coming to life. Um, And then a week and a half later, he was in a great new home with a family that was obsessed with him. And like, you know, it's just, he wouldn't have made it through the shelter experience to find a home without um, having the, the foster stop in between.
0: One of the questions I was the most excited to ask you is, do you have any favorite, you know, rescue success stories? Sounds like that might be one of them, but are there others that come to mind? Like, what do you think about you you really had a black cat that just maybe didn't seem like it had any hope and then it found a great, a great home?
1: Oh God. Um, It happens all the time, honestly. Um, And I am, I will admit, like I am a person who, I struggle with depression, anxiety. I am prone to despair. <laughs> and these cats just rip me out of it, like, constantly. Just, like, like I don't know, faith in the human race and um, the idea that things can just be okay. Um, uh, there's just so many. Um, so, Little Dipper is the paralyzed kitten I mentioned earlier. Um He came to me via an email from a a woman in in our city who said that she had a kitten who was having trouble learning to use the litter box. And um, she tried everything and could we take this kitten in? So we took this kitten and when this kitten showed up, it was very clear that this was not an issue of a cat failing to understand how to use the litter box. Um, This was a cat who was probably fully incontinent um, he had some use of one of his back legs. It was like wobbly, but he can kind of balance on it. And the other back leg was just kind of totally limp. Um, we took him to the vet. We had actually, everyone initially thought he was a girl because he had such intense urine scalding
0: because oh he gosh. was
1: incontinent and he, so he had urine on his fur and skin a lot. And it kind of scalded his genital area and it wasn't clear um, that he was actually a boy. Um, And so we took him to the vet. They thought he was a a girl at first. Um, We had, a, I I guess, had a tough conversation with the vet about whether this cat had a potential quality of life. And um, she said it would not be an... Reasonable or inhumane to put this cat down. A lot of people would put him down. And then she paused. And then we looked at each other for a second. And then she said, you don't want to put him down. I don't want to put him down. So we're like, okay, so there are a lot of people who would put him down, but none of them are in this room, right? Awesome. <laughs> so... I should add that he made it very clear that he did not want to be put down. He had so much spunk. He just zoomed around on his two front legs like this little gymnast. Um, He was great. And in just one of the many times that Cat Rescue has thrown a miracle at me, um, the new hospital manager at the vet's office that we took him to happened to have a cat at home with the exact same condition. Oh my gosh. Um, And this cat was again, totally incontinent in order for him to urinate. A human has to squeeze his bladder through, like through his abdomen to expel the urine. Yeah. So uh, one of the most, probably the most extreme medical scenarios that I've dealt with um, along those lines and, um, he was always going to be fecally incontinent, which was, which can be managed with like diapers and things like that. Um, but essentially also you have to manage his diet to make sure that the food can pass through him because he doesn't have the nervature, um, to, sort know, to push things push along anything and- through. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it was a real like question of whether we could get him to a point or get him into a situation where he could have a good quality of life. And um, this uh, staff member at the hospital heard about him. She was not there the day that we brought him in, um, but she heard about him from other people that were, and um, she reached out and said that she had, a cat with the same condition, she had the routine down, she had a couple of years of trial and error for what worked best. Um, and she was willing to take him that day. And it was like tears of joy on my end because um, I, one of the biggest, my biggest fears with him was that I wasn't adequate to care for him. And I, I was learning to express his bladder and I was like learning to do the things he needed Um, but it did feel out of my element and I was willing to do it, but I just had that feeling of like, Oh God, am I doing it wrong? Could somebody be doing this better for you? And then she just came out of nowhere and was perfect. Yeah. And so she adopted him. Um, we are Facebook friends. That was 2016. Um, as of this week, uh, he is just having the most amazing life i have seen him camping uh, she takes him everywhere um he there's videos of him playing the ukulele um Oh my gosh t- gotta get him on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you reach out yes if you want to reach out to her she's she's doing amazing things with that cat um and like he's a tuxedo cat and and when he came to me like he was just kind of so dirty um just cuz of the incontinence and he he you know didn't have quite the the um ability to like clean his back end and everything and just every picture i see of him like his white is just sparkling white and his black is so sleek and he just looks so healthy and like i can you can just see he's digesting nutrients well and he's clean and he's healthy and he's happy and he's musical um and that is that's that's one of them he he stays with me because um yeah he just he, he was a tough a tough case and and I thought I would keep him because I thought this is the one I think that every couple of years this is the one that no one will adopt and I'm always wrong
0: thankfully um and he wasn't he was he got adopted very quickly in fact Uh, Do you know how many cats have come through the Black Cat Rescue at this point? Um, Coming up on, like, 500. 500?
1: Yeah, let me get my calculator. But yeah, we do, like, 30 to 40 a year, and it's been about 15 years.
0: Oh, my gosh. I mean, how does that feel, you know, to have spent so much time and to have so many stories. I'm sure, I know I asked you for a favorite story, but I know there are more. How does that make you feel to be doing what you're doing? Great.
1: (laughs) Um, It took me a long time to realize that it was what I was supposed to be doing. Um, I quit my full-time human services work in 2019 to rescue cats full-time. And it was the best decision ever. Um, It's the best job ever. Um, it's, it's just a, an indescribable feeling to be able, when someone is like in distress and they're worried about their cat and what's going to happen to their cat, to be able to tell them, yes, we can help you. We can, you know, we can't fix whatever's going on in your life that made this happen, but we can give your cat a safe place to land. And that's huge. Um, and then the other side of it is that once we get them into the place that they're supposed to be, we get these happy updates and like I think it's hard to find words to just describe how great it is to read an email from someone that is just like so in love with their cat and to see a cat that when you worked with him he was freaking out and underweight and patchy and now he's like plump and happy and glossy and like the, it's 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 hard it's it's hard to describe, but um, the happy updates are are the best part.
0: Were the people you know that you're close to, you know, friends, family, etc. Were they surprised when you made this big life change to go full time to cat rescue? <laughs> no they saw no, it no, coming no no, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> it was more like about
1: time um every awesome. job I've ever had I end up being the the cat rescuer in the space so like um I mean even it, it was should be telling that I, I mean I'm a shy person I um I don't, I'm not, i am no. i am never the loudest person in the room, but I, I had a supervisor early in my human services career tell me, just pretend that there is a cat on the line. <laughs> like I need you to kind of just to be a little bit more assertive and just like pretend you're advocating for a cat. You're like, that's the headspace you need to get into. And it's true. I, I do things for cats that I, I, I wouldn't do for myself.
0: Right. The needles and the gland expressing or bladder <laughs> expressing. And that's a right, lot.
1: Right. <laughs> yes.
0: And like awkward uh, phone calls. <laughs> right. Totally. Well, you are doing great on this podcast, by the way. I know you mentioned that you're shy, <laughs> but that's not, that's not coming through. So you're, okay. you're doing awesome. Um, I want to go back to something that you know we touched on really early, which is kind of like, I guess, part of the ethos of where the Black Cat Rescue comes from. I mean, obviously you've got this incredible passion for cats, but black cats are up against some challenges that make them maybe unique from other cats that need to be rescued. And so in terms of adoptability, you, know, you said that one of the challenges that the cats have, you've got this dominant you know, gene that can make sort of cats darker. So just in terms of sample size, there are more of them, but then it's their appearance. Could you talk about that a little bit more and how their appearance can sometimes pose an issue for them in getting adopted?
1: Yeah. I mean, you see, you see it with black dogs too, that there is an idea that their appearance makes them scary and that's horror movie kind of leftover <laughs> nonsense. Um, one of the ways that we try to combat that is with really good photography and really cute oh, pictures. Um, and we lean into the cuteness of it.
0: Um so you're doing angles where, like, eyes really yes, come out. Exactly. the ears you're, are super perky. Yeah, you want to look like, like yeah, cute tooth. Innocent. Um, that yeah, we try to
1: just give them generally positive PR. We lean into Halloween too, which some people don't agree with. Um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, Halloween is a is a hot topic. <laughs> um, but there, so there, there's myths and there's reality. um... And there's a lot of myths about Black Cats and Halloween. Um, the reality is that it is it is the our most productive fundraising time of the year. Um, Incredible. For us, this is, you know, people associate Black Cats with Halloween and we can either <laughs> deny that <laughs> in fact or lean in and we're leaning in. So um, we have an event on the 25th at a local um, pizza place where – we'll be gathering and it's just black cats and candy. Um, but yeah, um, there's also a lot of like, you know, we'll, we lean into like the positive, happy, fun part of Halloween. Um, every year we do have people freaking out about the fact that uh, black cats are being adopted out in October. Um, research indicates that if, if, Animals are held for a month anywhere, just nationally. If animals are held for a month for any reason, it will result in animals in that shelter dying. If animals are adopted out, and in this case, black cats in October, there is absolutely no evidence that anything bad happens. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of like my neighbor's friend's cousin, um, but you know we have we have ways of documenting animal cruelty in the United States, and there's not that's right. There are not specific um, things happening to black cats. It's it's myth. It's not. It's not factual.
0: That's good to hear. Uh, you know, we um, uh, uh, around Easter we interviewed a woman in Los Angeles who uh, rescues bunny rabbits, and you know we talked about. How Easter is this time of, you know, now celebrating bunnies and chicks and these sweet little animals, but then what happens when, you know, people get caught up in the excitement of those holidays, they get the animals, realize they shouldn't have them, and then what happens to them next? And I was wondering that with the black cats, are there people who get them that think, oh, you know, I'm going to do this for Halloween and it's not really a fit, but then I thought, well, it's a cat like any other cat, so you'd think it would stick around. And I
1: mean, I can say on the one hand, like from my experience, there's never been an uptick in interest around October. Um, We, I mean, we're a small rescue and we have a specific adoption process. Um, I imagine if somebody wanted to obtain an animal for temporary or frivolous or nefarious reasons, um, they wouldn't choose to go through our adoption process. Um,
0: yeah, you would catch that pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is just like talking about what your plans are for the the future of this cat. And, um, you know, hopefully that just having that conversation in and of itself would dissuade someone from um, kind of making the decision in haste based on holiday fun or something like that. Like we do hammer home the, the type of commitment that, that you're getting involved with.
0: Well, personally, I love that you are active during the Halloween season. It was one of the reasons that we wanted to reach out to you now. We thought, oh, this is a great time for, you know, well, us, right. our audience to learn about black cats. And then also just, you know, it's top of mind for folks. So how can yeah. we be a part of that conversation that's already happening? Exactly. And I think what was also cool for me is the fact that you are in Massachusetts. Like I've been to Salem a few times, and I'm not going to lie—I maybe you're like, oh my god, you know, more of these tourists. But like, I definitely got caught up in kind of the spooky, you know, loving the spooky vibe of Salem, especially Mm -hmm. in October. Does that play into the rescue as well? Um, Salem
1: does uh, a lot of of fun black, well, a lot of fun stuff in the fall, I should say. we're, we're a little closer to Boston than Salem. Um, so there are, there are other shelters in that area. So we don't, most of our stuff is, is in Somerville, Mass. We're not, we're not super linked with Salem.
0: Yeah. I, I remember being in Salem once and, you know, for, uh, for folks who are listening, if you don't know Salem, Massachusetts, it's got sort of a historic spooky past, the Salem witch trials and, The last time I was there was pre-COVID. I was in a apple cider bar and somebody casually walked in wearing a Krampus monster costume (laughs) and decided to sit down at the bar and have a cider too. And nobody but me seemed surprised to see this. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I, yeah, I, I, I really do love sort of that, um, the spooky folklore, if you will, of that the Massachusetts has just in terms of history. We actually did have
1: um, a, a fundraiser in Salem right before COVID hit. The pandemic really kind of cramped our gathering fundraising style, and we, we've been doing a lot more online. Um, but similarly, um, we all we were, you know, phoning in the black cat costume. We all just had black clothes on and cat ears and tails, and um, <laughs> it really uh, and, and it really wasn't. Um, it wasn't noticed or picked up on
0: really by anybody at the restaurant. Um also, you know, I I want to go back to some of the stereotypes that you alluded to around black cats. Like what where does that this idea that black cats are unlucky, that black cats are bad, that black cats cling on to broomsticks with, you know, crazy women. Wh- where did this come from?
1: Oh, wow, there's a lot of things. Um I, so um, my dad's side of the family is Italian, and uh, my grandmother passed away long before I got into cat rescue, and I don't know what she would think of all this business, but she used to tell me that um, you know, cats were evil, and all of them, um, cats would um, steal the baby's breath. Have you ever heard of this? No. So, <laughs> yeah, so cats, so cats got blamed a lot for killing infants because they were the, usually the first in the household to notice that an infant had passed away. Um, and so a lot of times the, the cat would be found with the infant and be blamed for like SIDS. Um, so anyway, um, Italian culture is pretty anti-black cat. Um, even in yeah, like in the two thousands, um I had people I grew up in Revere, uh, which is a, a suburb of Boston and is um pretty Italian and pretty Catholic. And um yeah, even recently people will tell me that um just like there's a general fear that they make them uneasy, that they creep them out. Um Yeah, it's it's still it's still present, which is it's kind of crazy if you don't. About. If you don't think like that, it is hard to wrap your head around. Um, but yeah, for a lot of people, um, it's just like, well, why get a black one when you can get a non-black one?
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it is. I mean, I'm sure there are entire books written about this, but, you know, why the black cat in particular? You mentioned that black dogs can be harder to adopt, but there's something about the color plus it being a cat that for some reason, you know, has spooked certain people or certain groups of people in a way that I don't know that a lot of other animals or like domesticated animals have.
1: I mean, cats are creepy and weird. Like they are how they are. i mean like, I I love it. And I, and I'm a cat person and I, and like, I love like a strong-willed quirky cat, but I can see how to someone else that might come a, That might come across as just like out to mess with you. (laughs) I don't know.
0: And it seems like, you know, at least in the case of your rescue group, these cats are bringing good luck and positive things. You know, they're not causing people to be cursed or whatever it is. They brought
1: together such an amazing group of people. Like people just kind of gravitate towards them and the cause. And it's, it's amazing to see and like, we all love them so much. And it's, it's just a really, um, it it is, it's a, it's a positive experience I think for everybody. And I, I try to keep it that way.
0: You beat me to my next question, which is, is there a common thread that seems to bring together people who are interested specifically in black cat rescue? Is there some common thing that like you feel like your community has?
1: I mean, I feel like when people reach out to us and they want to get more involved, like they're connecting to our missions specifically, um, they usually tell me something like they've always loved black cats or um, sometimes there's there's some identification with that underdog story. Um, and so people either know that they need extra help and are are coming from that angle, or they're very surprised to find out that that they need extra help, and then they feel really compelled to act.
0: I was surprised to find out because I, you know, I was googling black cat rescues, and I started to read you know, some articles about it, and I just I had no idea statistically the rate of adoption and you know foster care for black cats was just so um, different, you know, than, than other cats and even hearing what you said about the importance of photography and I guess lighting their faces a certain way. So you can kind of see the features, see the smile, like that has to Huge be difference. everything. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, and again, the pandemic has, has been difficult with that. Um, we, uh, previously we had uh, a volunteer photographer who would come to each foster home and take professional pictures, um, set up the lights and everything. And we got, we got really, really, really nice pictures. Um, now we're, we're back to relying upon foster homes to provide their own photos, but we do get some hobby photographers in the mix and, and we, we get some good shots.
0: That's cool. I was going to ask, you know, for our audience, who's listening, you know, how can people a support black cats in their community but then also, you know, what's a great way for them to get involved with your rescue?
1: Uh, in terms of supporting black cats in your community, I think just advocating for them. Like, if you're sharing pictures of adoptable animals, like share the one, share the black ones twice. Um, if you're involved in any capacity with a, a shelter or rescue, um, and you can use your skills to get better pictures, or just to highlight them in any way that you can draw attention to them. A lot of them can take it from there. They just need you to sort of get eyes on them. Um, but they're great cats once they, they have a moment to shine. Um, and then in terms of getting involved with black cat rescue, um, we are, can I give our website? Is that okay? Yeah, of course. Um, so We're blackcatrescue.com. Um, slash support if you want to make a donation. Um, and then we are always looking for new foster homes in the greater Boston area, as well as administrative help. And most of our administrative help can be done remotely from anywhere. Um, but we need help with things like accounting, uh, marketing, creating newsletters, uh, stuff like that. So, um, Administrative skills are always helpful. People kind of um, tend to reach out to to animal organizations when they want to do hands on animal work, and um, we don't have a lot of opportunities for that outside of fostering, um, because our cats, since they are in foster homes, they're living pretty normal lifestyles where they're getting lots of human interaction, and um, it's not like a typical shelter setup. So um, our need outside of fostering is for all of the like less fuzzy cuddly aspects
0: but still important we have a lot of a lot of so our listeners are creative types so you hear that people who are great writers marketers all of our content creators who are out there the photographers the artists there is definitely something that you can do you know, either for the black cat rescue or another animal oh, you know, area. Uh, yeah another animal group in your area so there's multiple ways of helping out i love that you called that out um, I want to be respectful of your time you know. we've been chatting for a little while, but I have to ask, you know, are there any Halloween movies that you will be watching, you know, come October and will cats be featured in any of them? Um,
1: I will watch Hocus Pocus every yes. year until I die. Probably yes. um, <laughs> last October we had a Thackeray Binks, um, Uh, with us briefly. Uh, He has since been adopted, but he was named in honor of the movie. That's incredible. (laughs) Amazing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You can't go wrong with Hocus Pocus. It's the best. No, I know. It's fun. (laughs) Well, this is fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. I appreciate it. So you need to fill me in on uh, what
2: happened while I was away. I'm not going to lie. This episode. It was a
0: little strange doing one without you. I kept looking around. I'm like, where is she? I was kind of waiting for the, um, uh, the very Anya specific commentary and those rapid fire questions at the end. And, you know, it, at first it felt a little empty without you, but I have to say Jennifer and I had a really good time chatting. Oh,
2: well, I'm glad that you managed without me. And <laughs> didn't miss me too much.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. We, um, so as you know, you know Jennifer, she started the Black Cat Rescue in Massachusetts, and she was inspired to start this when she realized that black cats had lower adoption rates than a lot of other cats. I didn't know that, did you? Well, I knew that about dogs, because I've read okay. that about
2: dogs before as being an issue as far as them being overlooked, maybe because they seem more threatening and dangerous, uh, being
0: all black. She she actually I'm mentioned thinking. that. Yeah, no, she, she said like part of it is that like, you know, the dark fur it can scare people, you know, in a way that let's say a tabby cat won't. But I thought this was really interesting. She said part of the problem with getting these cats adopted, especially with online postings, is that they don't always photograph well. And so a big part of what her organization did was actually provide professional photography services to the fosters so, that they could get like really great, like illuminated pictures of the cats. And those also then in turn helped with their adoption. That's really interesting. I remember reading
2: that about dogs too. And there was a photographer that had done something
0: similar to that a photo campaign around black dogs. Oh, that's awesome. We should find that. Yeah, I think that would be would be good to have. But what else did I learn? I mean, black cats, you know, they have a, they have kind of a shitty reputation, right? You know, they're associated with everything horrible that happens. I can't tell you the number of movies I've seen where like, you know something bad's going to happen because a black cat just appeared. Mm -hmm. And their eyes are glowing in the dark. Yes, which I love. I think I might be one of those black (laughs) cat people. But so, yeah, black cats have had, you know, sort of a, a rotten time. They have a bunch of, you know, historical associations that make them considered evil. And we didn't quite get into this. I was curious your take, but this whole association of black cats with demented single women on broomsticks, what's up with that? Hmm. Well,
2: let's see. I'm a demented single woman with a dog with white fur and brown spots. So I don't know if that stereotype holds up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking, Anya, maybe if you were in Salem, Massachusetts, circa like I don't know, like 16, 90 or something, <laughs> maybe you would have had little black dogs. You know, I think I would look good on a broomstick. N- you know, I think you might lie. too.
2: Let's give this a shot.
0: <laughs> I think we found Anya's <laughs> Halloween
2: costume. <laughs> well, you know what? I did get my nails recently painted black for the Halloween season. So Ooh. that was that was to honor having missed this recording as well. So... This one's for the black kitties. Also, also I wear a lot of black and I and I think about this a lot because Ruthie does have white fur and it's just a nuisance constantly and maybe, you know, maybe I should paint Ruthie's fur black or something at least, you know, I wouldn't <laughs> just look like I'm just covered in dust. All the time. You got to
0: give stylish Pooch a call, see if she can come over and do a dye job for yeah. her thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, Anya, even though, I have to say, even though I felt, you know, pretty good, you know, by the end of the interview, I was like, okay, I got through that. There is one thing that I'm not going to be able to do by myself. What? I can't do our outro as well as you do. You're going to have to take us away.
2: Oh, well, I'm here to save the day. Meow. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Everyone, thanks for tuning in and listening to just Julia this time. Uh follow us on Instagram, TikTok, at the FurFluencers, subscribe to our newsletter, rate our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, support us on Patreon. And until next time, we will see you.